Good morning. We're thrilled to have you today, everyone who has logged on to join us for our virtual service here at Victory Church. It's an honor and a blessing to have you with us. Hope that you just enjoyed that wonderful selection by a young lady in our church here, Sydney Grafton. I am excited to bring this message to you today. It's, it's literally been cooking in my heart and in, in my spirit all week long and just some things the Lord is doing in my own heart and my own life. We're in this series for Advent, which is the season that prepares us for the second coming of Christ. Obviously, his first Advent was 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea. God came in the form of a baby boy, and that baby boy grew up, and he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We're in a challenging time right now. This year has been a year that will be marked down in history as one of the more difficult ones. Certainly, it is not the most difficult, most outrageous time in history. Just a, just a brief overview of the last thousand years, and you would see that there are times when people have endured much greater difficulties and things that we are now. But it, is, it has been a hard time. Things are challenged. The economy is strained. Relationships, obviously, are on edge because people are spending a lot of time together more than they normally do. Couple that with the fact that jobs have been lost, businesses have closed, people are fighting uh, for their own health and for their lives. And so difficult, obviously, is a, a good descriptive adjective for this season that we've been in. And so as I prepared for Advent, I thought about a, a classic Christmas movie that we have all probably seen at least a dozen times, if not more. I, my family and I usually watch it every year, so I know I've seen it probably 40 or 50 times at least. It's that famous George Bailey, Jimmy Stewart uh, movie called uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And you know the story. I'm not going to take time to go into it with any great detail, but George Bailey is obviously strained financially because his Uncle Billy has lost some money, a deposit went missing, and the Bailey savings and loan is challenged and is probably going to close. Mr. Potter is uh, encroaching in terms of just about owning the whole perimeter of the town, and George thinks that his life has not been worth living. And an angel named Clarence appears to him and saves him when, he, when George tries to commit suicide, jumping off of a bridge, rescues him, and he shows him what life would have been like had George not been alive. As one of my sort of mentors from a distance, and the fact that I've read so many of his books, um, John Maxwell said years ago that the, the most shy, introverted person will, in their lifetime, influence over 10,000 people. That's a remarkable thing to think about. And certainly when we view the story of It's a Wonderful Life, we see what life was like in Bedford Falls, which actually was Potterville in the movie when he saw that dark time when George had never been born. Every one of us has a life of influence and a life uh, that has the destiny of God and the mark of God on it. And with that awareness this morning, I want to bring to you a little twist in the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and we're calling this series When It's Not a Wonderful Life, because we're dealing with a pandemic. We've had a year filled with protests uh, around social injustice, uh, racial inequities. There has been just the most outrageous season of politics that I've ever viewed in my whole life with the demonization of both sides. 
and, and parties basically just holding no punches whatsoever in terms of the things that they're saying against their opponents. It's become uh, evil, literally, to the point of destroying lives just because we simply disagree on ideology. And I, I just want to say that's not the Christian thing to do. I, I'm ashamed that I've seen so many pastors and churches uh, draw lines in the sand and take sides in this thing rather than standing in the place of the kingdom of God, which is not in the sense of centrist politics, but it's a place of the fact that the kingdom of God is transcendent above right or left, conservative or uh, progressive liberal. And so this morning as we jump into this message, I just want you to know that when we say this little phrase, when it's not a wonderful life, we really do have an enormous amount to be thankful for. We are not a hopeless people. We, we have great hope because of the hope that God has given to us. Last week, I shared a message about hope. It is the opening theme in the season of Advent, the hope that God has for the people of the earth, the hope that God has for the church, the hope that God has for the individual believer, the hope that God has for every sinner on the planet. And we have a hope, a hope that is in God, a hope for a brighter future, a hope that God has for us. The scripture says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, not to, uh, not to bring destruction, but to give you a future and a hope. The King James says an expected end. And so this morning we're moving to the next in the next theme in this season of Advent and it's the theme of love. It is the love of God that caused Jesus to come to the planet as a baby and grow up and, and live an immaculate, sinless life before us and demonstrate what the love of God was. Folk had basically speculated, prophets had prophesied, poets had written, bards had sung songs, but basically Jesus came and said, this is how God is. He lived the life in front of those people around him. The scripture says in in the message translation in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. God dwelt in man, in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. So this morning as we move into love, the title of this message today is called Walking in Love in Pandemics, Protests, and Politics. The scripture that I'm using today is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The New Living Translation says this, Imitate God, therefore... In everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. There it is right there. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. I regularly preach with a little tool called one thing, and that's the idea that everything that I'm bringing to you Every illustration, every story, every point, every principle is all kind of summed up in a general idea. And I repeat that sort of like a chorus in a song that we repeat. And it's for the purpose of the fact that if you don't get anything else that I say, you get this. So the one thing for today's message is this. God's love is generous, sacrificial, and it changes everything it touches. Think about that with me as you hear it again. 
God's love is generous, sacrificial, and changes everything it touches. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask you in this season, in this difficult time that we face, that you would wrap your arms of love and mercy and comfort, your everlasting arms, O God, around those that are struggling. Lord, people have lost loved ones to COVID-19. My own family this week, Lord, my my son, my daughter-in-law, Holly lost her dad. And I just pray, Lord, that you bless and strengthen her and Donna as she's recovering, uh, coach's wife. Lord, there are people in our congregation that are battling COVID right now. And I pray for the strength of the Lord to be upon them. And Lord, family members, friends, people in our community. Lord, so many challenges that we face. And we look to you. We thank you for hope. Lord, beyond that message of hope, we thank you that the motivation behind it is your eternal, unfailing, loyal love, your loving kindness, as the Old Testament said. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would demonstrate that today. Let the words that I bring, Lord, bring gospel, bring good news to the hearts of those listening. Lord, transform us today by your hope and by your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, amen. This passage that I use is a wonderful passage that in the King James says that we're to walk in love. The NLT says, imitate God, therefore, as dear children. If you would put that back up on the screen for me, thank you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. The King James says, walk in love. Walk a life filled with love. Verse 2 says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. The King James says that he gave himself for us. I have three points this morning that are contained in this one thing. God's love is generous in that God is a giver. God's love is sacrificial in that it costs something. And God's love is finally influential in that it changes everything it touches. God's love, first of all, is a generous love. The scripture says uh, in, in John chapter 3, the most famous scripture in all the world, held up on a placard at every major sporting event, John 3.16. The Bible says, for God so loved that he gave. So we understand there's a kingdom principle there that the first law of love is giving Hear this, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving because love is generous. The unconditional agape kind of love that describes the love that God has for us. It's not based on merit. It's not based on me checking off a set of boxes or earning some gold stars. The word that was used over and over in the Old Testament is the loving kindnesses of God. It's all wrapped up and tied up in this bundle of of love and mercy and goodness. Psalm 136 is that repeating phrase. You talk about one thing that's repeated probably 25 times. Over and over and over, the testimony is what God did for the covenantal people of Israel. And then they would respond with the chorus and say, His love endures forever. Another translation says, His mercies are everlasting. We used to sing a song 30 years ago, back in the 80s. It said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies are new every morning. Literally, great is your faithfulness, O God. I'm so thankful for that, that God is a giver, that God is a lover. And because he loves us, he gave himself for us. We recognize the importance in this season of giving. That's why we give gifts one to another. I I think that it's so critical that we recognize that Jesus offered himself. He loved us so much that he gave himself is what the, the passage says. 1 John chapter 3 is another favorite passage of mine. It says, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Folk, think about that. The, the, the leader, the supreme being of this cosmos, of this universe, loved us so much that he's made us his children. This season we celebrate has this central theological concept called the incarnation. That is the idea that God comes down in flesh and he dwells among us. God's love was so great. He said, who will go for me? And Jesus stepped forward and said, I will send me. Here I am, send me. And Jesus came, not as a king riding on a horse as a triumphant conqueror, but he came as a vulnerable, weak baby, as a human He became a slave for the slaves. He became a servant of servants for those who serve. In his demonstration of love, he showed us that in everything that we would need, he would become that for us because his love is generous. God's love is generous and it is sacrificial and it changes everything that it touches. I'm so grateful for that. My second point is that God's love is sacrificial. He laid down his life for us and took our place The law of God, which is a representation of God's holiness and the perfection of his character, stands in opposition to our sinfulness and our desperate cry, our desperate need. There is nothing in and of myself that is worthy of the merit of God's love for me. But I'm so grateful that his love, not only in the giving of his law to show us how much we needed him, but then he became the answer to that himself. The scripture says in the book of Colossians that all of this was nailed to the cross. Not only my sins where I broke the law, but the law itself that accuses me. Jesus became sin for us. He was buried in the ground and he arose the third day. Thank God. I know I'm, I'm not confusing Christmas and the incarnation and Easter and the celebration of his resurrection, but all of that's tied up together because Christianity literally hinges upon these, the, these, these, these three bookends, or I'm sorry, these, these, these three days between his death, burial, and his resurrection, this, these bookends. And it all begins in this season that we call Christmas or the incarnation when a baby lies in a manger and the world looks in wonder as the angelic voices declare peace on earth toward men of goodwill, as it says in the original. God's desire, his hope for us is demonstrated in his love for us because he gave himself for us. Jesus laid down everything that heaven had, his divine attributes. Philippians chapter 2 says that he emptied himself of those things and he became literally obedient unto death, a slave, a servant in the likeness of man. He came as a man. He endured every temptation that you or I would ever endure. And the scripture says, in all points tempted, yet without sin. 
I'm so thankful for a Savior that loves us, for the Lamb of God who truly took away the sins of the world. Because his love is so great, his love is sacrificial, I can rest in the promise of his forgiveness. That's something that's been working in my life recently. Because I, I want to confess to you that the Holy Spirit has sort of pulled back the, the mask in my own heart and shown me that I've had some resentment. I've had some resentment toward my late wife, just dealing with, not I wouldn't really call it anger, but just kind of an underlying irritation and a, and a little bit of resentment, maybe a grudge. And it has it not yet become a, a, a root of bitterness, but the Holy Spirit showed me there was some resentment there. And, and I would never in any way say anything in public that would would defame or take away from the greatness of the mother that my children had, from the wonderful woman that my wife was when she was alive. But just dealing with the mental illness for three years that she went through and then the way her life ended with her suicide and just just feeling a place of, man, I'm hurt, I'm angry that, that you did this. And I, and I really thought that that was dealt with. I really thought that I was healed and moving on from that. But the Lord showed me some things that I, in some memories that I was having. And so as, as they would come up, I would just say, Father, I choose to loose that and let it go. And I've said it out loud, Dawn, I forgive you. Baby, I know you were doing the very best that you could based on the struggle that you had and the, the mental battles that you were going through. I've shed some tears not just in the last week in preparation for this message, but in the last few months. And I've talked with my, both of my children, by my daughter and my son, and just dealing with and just said, you know, I've had some resentment and I've got, I've got to let this stuff go. And I've preached this for years for the importance of people that forgiving folks who've offended you is not about them, it's about you. Because when we carry this stuff in our hearts, it ends up creating distress and disease in our lives. And you know something? Forgiving someone and letting it go and not holding their sins against them is not about hanging around and enduring abuse or staying in the same situation. Because forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is given. It's part of the generosity of God's love. Trust is earned. That's another message in itself, and I won't chase that rabbit. But I want you to see this morning that God loves us so much because of his sacrifice that he gave us in Jesus. The scripture says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing men's trespasses unto them. If God holds no record of what you've done wrong, we have no right to hold record and bear a grudge and, and let resentment begin to grow into a root of bitterness in our own hearts because of things that people have said against us or done against us. I felt the sting of betrayal. I felt the, 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 the wound of people lying and saying things about me that weren't true. And I've rehearsed those things in this season when there's been a lot of isolation and time alone and prayer and saying, God, I forgive. I let that go. I release them in Jesus' name. Sometimes it means I have to revisit that because sometimes... There's a space between when I recognize that I need to forgive someone and when I really know that it's gone. And so when it keeps coming up and there's a memory there, I just visit it again and I just say, Father, I let it go. I forgive in Jesus' name. 
You paid the penalty for my sins, and I'm thankful that I'm going to release. You've forgiven me of millions of dollars. I'm going to release that person who owed me 20, if you'll remember the parable. This is the problem with us. It's human nature, unfortunately. A teacher went to the board in a junior high school classroom, and she wrote out the multiplication for all of the nines. And on the board, she wrote, nine times one is seven, Nine times two is 18, nine times three is 27, nine times four is 36, and went all the way down through nine times 12, 108. And yes, you heard me correctly. The very first one that I stated was wrong. On the board, she had written nine times one is seven. And the whole class of seventh graders behind her were, were giggling and sort of making fun of her that she'd made a mistake that they'd all learned probably third or fourth grade when you learned your multiplication tables. And she let them continue to giggle and whisper to each other that this teacher is not as smart as she thinks she is because she made a mistake on the board and wrote down these 12, 9 times 1 through 9 times 12. And one of them raised their hand and said, your first one is wrong and called the name of the teacher. She said, yes, I know. I did that on purpose. So the kids all kind of with a puzzled look looked at the teacher And she said, I did that on purpose because I wanted to see how you were going to react at my one mistake. Because this is what the world is going to do to you when you go into life. They ignore and forget about the 11 that you got right. And they mock and deride and make fun of you because the one that you missed. And it breaks my heart. I want to say this, folks. It's a shame that the church does the same thing. People can make one mistake in their lives and all of the great things that they have done for some reason sort of get ignored and the one thing is what gets whispered about and gets gossiped about. The teacher was very wise in showing the students to say, you need to be ready for this because none of us are perfect and we will all make mistakes and get ready because the world will emphasize and glorify and vilify and enlarge the ones that you make where you make mistakes and the ones that you do wrong and will ignore and forget about all the things that you've done right. And oh my, if you're ever a leader, if you own a business, if you're in the community, if you stick your head above the crowd to try to help people and try to lead them, God forbid if you're a parent and you make a mistake, all those things are so self-evident before those that we attempt to lead. You know what? We have to have mercy. We have to have forgiveness Because people have short-term memories sometimes. They forget about all the great things you've done for them and how you've prayed and stood in, in intercession for them and then sometimes don't want to extend forgiveness to you in the same way that you've given to others. And I absolutely have nothing in mind when I'm sharing this this morning. This is just the truth of what I see happening in the church. I see vituperative, violent language of Christians these days because of the heavy spirit of politics in this, re- this, this, this time that we're living in. It breaks my heart that folk have gotten so moved off and away from the gospel and so politically motivated. You know you are captivated by a party spirit when whatever your favorite cable channel stays on hours every day in your home and you're stirred up constantly and you're angry. I had to step back. I did it several years ago from Fox News. I'm a conservative. I'm, I'm unashamed to say that. That doesn't mean that I agree and march in lockstep with everything that comes out of, quote, the conservative camp. 
You know, whatever your party affiliation is, whatever your worldview or your political ideology is, when you drink the Kool-Aid so hard in politics that you refuse to receive something or, or believe something that the other side says just because they're the other side, even when it's common sense, Folks, we, we, we have lost the awareness of who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be peacemakers in the middle of all of this nonsense in this pandemic. My God, help us. When wearing a mask has become politicized, Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Think about this. I put on a mask not because I necessarily think I need it, but because everybody else at the grocery store is afraid if I don't have one. So I put it on just because I love them. Are you hearing me today? I moved this morning. This is an empty room. I've got five people in the media booth with me this morning. But I want to tell you, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God's calling the church to something greater and something higher. Don't let us be like the kids in that classroom that magnify the one mistake of the teacher and ignore the other 11 that were correct. Don't let us become so drunk on the Kool-Aid of politics that we fail to recognize that people on the other side of whatever our convictions are can also be good people who are just trying to help build a just society. Don't shout me down now. God help us. We desperately need an awareness that God's love is generous and God's love is sacrificial. And finally, this morning I'm finished. God's love is influential. It changes everything it touches. What is my one thing? God's love is generous and sacrificial and changes everything it touches. I'm so grateful for the touch of God. I was sitting in my garage Friday night, sat Thursday night, talking to my daughter. I just dropped her at the airport this morning. Those of you that are watching it today, on Sunday, we've recorded this on Saturday. And she was saying, you know, so many people are always complaining about the problems they face are because of religion. And she said, you know, I looked at someone one time and I said, you know, your problem's not religion. The problem is that you've never really had a true living relationship with Jesus. And that and religion are two different things. When we can recognize that there's something so life-transforming in this good news of the gospel, religion is all about advice telling you what you need to do or what you ought to do or what you should do. You should do this. And how many of you know that nobody likes to be should on? You ought to. But the gospel is not advice. It's not about what you ought to do or what you should do or what you need to do. The gospel is just the, the declaration of what's already happened. A baby was born in a manger. He grew up spotless and sinless and he died on a cross and he arose from the grave three days later and he's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and he's not holding your sins against you. Give out of his generous love and his sacrificial love the forgiveness to others that he has given to us. I'm so thankful that his love has touched me and he's influenced my life. As I close, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5. It says at just the right time, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. I want to say, I've done a million things in my life to make God change his mind about loving me. But I want to tell you right now, he has never changed his mind. 
There's a brokenness in me right now because somebody that's listening, as I close this message today, you think that you are too far gone, that you, your sin is too great, that there's no way God could ever forgive you. And I want to tell you, he already has. It was already paid for in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus at, on the cross at Calvary. Religion gets it wrong and has us with this idea that you're not forgiven until the point where you ask. And that's nonsense. It happened. My forgiveness happened 2,000 years ago. It's the point that I ask is when I really find out about it and I acknowledge it. And I realize that I'm free. That I don't have anything accusing me. That I've got a God who's so crazy about me that he wants to pour out his love and fill my heart with hope in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of protests where cries for social justice are, are screaming in our ears, where stupid clowns in offices do the stuff that they do these days. God help us raise up some adults on both sides of the aisle in Congress, in the White House, whoever gets in and gets inaugurated in, in January. God, help us. Help us to turn the tide of this nation. Let the church arise again and be the place where she's supposed to be to prophetically speak to both sides and to show people what it's like to have a hope. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, set apart the Lord in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. I have a hope. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for the Delta. I'm hoping for Crittenden County. I'm hoping for the people in brokenness. I'm hoping for those that are trapped in sin. I want to tell you that Jesus has already set you free. As I close, get this last illustration. I was awake in the middle of the night. Oh, probably 10 days ago, which happens more often now than I'd like to admit. And I laid there for a while and I prayed and I got bored and I flipped on the television and I found an Andy Griffith marathon. And so there was three or four slots on the cable where Andy Griffith's show is playing. And I saw an episode where Otis the town drunk walked into the courthouse where Sheriff Taylor and Barney Fife are there. Otis walks into the jail cell and he pulls it shut. He's drunk. He knows he's drunk. But he's actually in a prison that he's shut the door himself. And at any moment, he has the ability to open the door and leave from his self-created prison. Literally, the key is hanging out there where you can reach and get it and unlock the door. And that little simple thing spoke to me and that that's what the gospel is right there. We stay in prisons that have, we've created ourselves. We stay in jail cells that we think we are so no good and so unworthy. And yet Jesus says, I have loved you so much. And he stretched out his arms and died for us. And the key is hanging right there on the nail. The key is Jesus Christ. The key is faith in God to do what he said he would do. So this morning as I close this message, I want you to know that God's love for you is generous. He's not stingy. God's love is sacrificial. It cost him something. And lastly, God's love is influential. It changes everything it touches. We're supposed to have that kind of love in the world. 
The church should be a generous people. We should be a sacrificial people, laying down our lives for others. We should be influential in that everything we touch, it gets blessed by the favor of God. So this morning, I just ask you if you would, if you're in a place where you are hurting or confused or you're struggling, you need comfort, you need the presence of the Lord, you need to approach the line of faith and say, God, I'm tired of living this thing in this endless hamster on a, on a wheel trying to do this religious game. I know that I can never do it, but I, I lean into Jesus. I make that choice. This morning, if that's you, no matter what you need, wherever you are, if you would bow your hearts with me, please. I believe the Spirit of God wants to move and show you that he has a hope for you because of a love that is so great. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus right now that those that are listening, Lord, all of those, Lord, around the nation who tune in to hear our podcasts and our videos here at Victory, Thank you, Lord, that you in time, literally in eternity past, saw every one of them. Lord, open their hearts to believe and to trust in you. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Lord, today we, we, like George Bailey, we don't look for an angel named Clarence, but we thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes, Lord, and, and jumps into the river with us and saves us. I ask you, Lord, that that one that needs to be comforted, that you would wrap your arms of love and blessing around them. That one that needs encouragement, that you would strengthen and fortify their heart. Lord, that one that needs to turn to you and repent of the past and recognize that Jesus has already paid the price and be reconciled to God. In Jesus' name, take that step. Lord, today we commit this time, we commit this word. I ask you for your blessing to know that when it's not a wonderful life, that we can have the one who has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Be blessed today. We love you.